0: in those days of being suppressed i always wanted to be authentic i always wanted to unlock my own potential like i knew there was something more that existed for me i just didn't know how to get it it's absolutely important that we share our journey because what that does is it gives other people freedom and creative license to do the same for themselves
1: welcome 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 to the in pursuit of passion podcast produced by the demographical network and hosted by myself hamish Hallett. In today's episode, I was joined by the one and only Michael Siva. And In this conversation, we spoke about Michael's passion for coaching, why Michael felt suppressed during his upbringing, the need to tackle preset narratives, and Michael's cat, Cleopatra. So sit back, relax, and let's pursue this passion. Thank you so much, Michael Siva, for coming on to In Pursuit of Passion. How are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic. Hamish, what about you? I am doing amazing. And I cannot wait to have this interview with you because looking at your journey so far and your story, it does fascinate me a lot. So let's start off then. How did your interest in coaching start? Take me to the beginning.
0: Wow, it it didn't actually start until the year two thousand eight when I was twenty eight years of age, and mm-hmm. I enrolled to get an MBA at the Thunderbird School of Global Management in Phoenix, Arizona. And back then, MBA students were assigned a career coach from their Career Management Center staff. And I sat down with my career coach, and she gave me a series of assessments like the DISC assessment or Career Leader or a Strengths Finder. And then she asked me a series of questions, and then we sat down multiple sessions and talked through actually, honestly, the patterns that existed inside that information. Mm. And that was really striking to me because I don't remember any other person in my life having that type of dialogue with me to show me this objective look at myself and this subjective look at my journey. And what she told me was, is that all of these things aligned me very well for human resources, organizational development and or coaching as a possible future. And for the first probably three or four months after she and I had those conversations, I completely rejected that as a possibility (laughs) for me. I mean, I really did. And then I did an internship that following summer at a very large healthcare system in Arizona. And I was asked by the career management center as a second year student to coach first year students. And while the the thing that really stuck with me as I was delivering those coaching sessions to people from across the world was that I completely lost track of time. I was basically in the flow state delivering the coaching. And that's how I knew that coaching was going to be a big part of my future.
1: God, that is incredible. Because I feel like when we have a passion, you just you forget everything, right? And you're in that, as you said, flow state, you just you forget everything. And it clearly seems like coaching was that flow state?
0: And I I really needed to go through the process of being told that I was going to be good at it and then completely reject it Mm. and then slowly integrate it into my life over that summer working in the internship and then actually doing it right, experiencing it and engaging the five senses as a second year student. I needed to go through that process to fully believe that it was truly for me.
1: Mm. And you said about, you know, Thunderbird School of Global Management, like, what kind of stood out the most for you in in terms of that score and how that affected your passion, would you say?
0: Yeah, it was really a key piece of the puzzle for me because not only did Pam help me uncover my life's work as a coach, but I built some incredible relationships, right? So the friendships that I still carry forth today, more than a decade later have been profoundly important for me. And actually my partner, Tiffany is also a Thunderbird alumna and she graduated about 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so I didn't meet her until about three or four years ago, but so for me, I look back at Pam helping me to find my life's mission. I met a lot of inspiring people, including my, my current partner. It also really instilled in me this really deep, seated interest in travel and uh, actually while we were traveling to China I decided to learn to speak mandarin chinese when I came back to Arizona so oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's very rusty now but it was really fun to go through the process of learning it and then in a really cool way thunderbird actually in the years that followed my degree they actually became a client of mine right i gave presentations to the school i coached students and alumni and then i was actually able to serve as a mentor to not only staff but also to students so the ecosystem itself, not only being a student, but also being a vendor, being an alumnus, all of those things taught me some really, really great perspectives, gave me the courage to take calculated risks, allowed for me to iterate in a really powerful way, because I knew I had this series of relationships around me that I would always be able to have someone to lean on in the event that I made a mistake. And so I'm so thankful for that experience.
1: God, so it so literally like impacted you both career-wise and also interpersonal as well. Yes. Massively. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Because I feel like, because that's another thing about passion is something where it's not just affecting your, your career, but it's also affecting your interpersonal relationships. And it seems like the coaching aspect really impacted both of those sort of trends, really.
0: Oh, no. And I, I agree. And so that's where I had to discover myself as a coach there. And then I went through the process of actually actually being able to hone and further my gifts as a coach through the school, right? And mm. I think that that was really important. So there are many things that have coalesced around that that entity for me, and I'm so thankful for it, but it has certainly affected me both personally and professionally. And for everybody listening, just really soak that in, right? Really take the time to reflect back on how those experiences and events in your life have contributed to multiple facets of your life, not just to one
1: piece. Mm. And speaking about reflection, I really want to go slightly further back on your own journey in terms of your like upbringing, because I believe you were raised in West Michigan. Mm-hmm. How has your upbringing influenced your passion? Did it influence it that much or not really?
0: Uh, it really set a, a strong foundation uh, in many ways advantages mm-hmm. and disadvantages and so the the town that i was raised in was 2500 people and i was raised inside of a, a family business and so the family business is landscaping law maintenance and snow plowing. and that was a a really good thing because i got to learn the value of hard work i got to learn about how to deliver important client service uh, the business was really heavily focused in on attention to detail that that was really important for me to learn uh, the business was probably one of the most high quality service providers in the area and so that taught me to to stay really focused in on that high quality but the the kind of opposite side the yin to the yang of that is that the the family business was my, the way that my grandfather and my father ran it was very command and control, right? And so everybody had to do what it is that they said in the way that they said. Mm-hmm. And so me, I very quickly felt abandoned, right? My authentic self, the, you know, kind of the person that I desired to be, I wanted to contribute, I wanted to make a difference. So I very rapidly felt abandoned, and I felt like a robot inside that business, right? And there's a lot of family infighting and, and poor communication. So that ended up developing inside of me a very, insular mindset. So the benefit was is that I learned these really important values that I still carry forth today. The challenge or the disadvantage was is that kind of the insular mindset that that shaped my childhood, my teenage years and my early 20s in that here I am at age 41 still trying to work through and past. So inside of every story, right, the yin and the yang, there's always the advantage or the benefit, but there is also the challenge or the disadvantage. And we have to honor them both.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, from my own personal perspective, my parents also own a business themselves. And I've sort of, as much as I, I've taken this exact same value as you said, hard work and dedication and really, you know, pushing yourself. There comes a point where, as you said, some family unfighting has also occurred, and it's and you, and you and I, and I kind of resonate with what you said. You feel like a bit like a robot. You don't feel like you fit in. It's not like it's your thing because it's their family's thing, right? Yeah. So I resonate with that so much. And you even said something about being suppressed, actually. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, it... I'm so thankful to have been a part of the family business to allow for both my grandfather and my father yeah. to become wealthy right financially and to have influence and to be able to positively impact the community in which they, they exist. That's, that's amazing. But you always have to take that step back and remember that my grandfather and my father and, and yours too, hey Hamish, like, they were raised at a very different time in human mm-hmm. history. And so you think back to the time in which they were raised, society was very different. The level of affluence was very different. The level of technology, globalization, the internet, all of those things didn't exist. They were much, much smaller. And so you think back to the icons of that time, Ronald Reagan, or even people like Jack Welch. And Jack Welch was known inside GE as kind of creating the the rank and the yank system, right? So success back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, my, my grandfather and father were conditioned that if if you were a jerk, if you were impolite, if you were dictatorial, mm. that was success, right? That that triggered success. And I often attribute this to, it's like they lived by the golden rule and the golden rule kind of morphed is, is that he who has the gold rules. And that was certainly the value by which my, my family kind of ran the business. Now, you also have to take into consideration that they were both very different communicators than me. I'm very introverted, relatively shy, very task-oriented. My grandfather and father were much more extroverted and much more willing to to be in control. So they were motivated by something quite different than me, right? They were motivated by the Mm -hmm. prestige and the wealth. I was motivated by authenticity or being able to live life on my own terms. So after being perceived, right, as just this replaceable worker bee, I realized that I wanted to emulate them in terms of being an entrepreneur, right? Because I think that that's valuable, Mm. but I wanted to do it in my own way. So in 2003, I I got married and I left the state of Michigan, right? I left the business. I moved to Arizona and started completely on my own to begin the process of shedding that suppression that I felt.
1: Mm. And what was the reaction when you said to your father and grandfather that, you know what, I'm moving to Arizona. Screw you! i probably, probably not <laughs> screw you, but like more like, look, I'm moving to Arizona. Like, what was their like reaction? Yeah,
0: you know, my my grandfather had passed away about a year before I left. Uh, so yeah, thank you. And yeah. he he had asked me prior to uh, his passing if I intended to stay and take over the business. And this was late 2001, early 2002. And at the time, I didn't know any better, and so I said yes at that particular point in time. And so, although I'm not there physically. I still do help my father and now my sister and her husband who will take it over, uh, in the next couple of years. So I still am participating, just not boots on the ground the way that Mm -hmm. they are. And then I think for my father, it was pretty hard, uh, for him to absorb that. And so he and I, for the, the first, probably six or seven months after my ex-wife and I left, uh, we, he and I didn't really talk a whole lot, right? I, I feel like he felt abandoned a little bit, but. But, you know, a lot of time has passed, right? Almost eight, almost 19 years, I think it's been. And in that context, his and my relationship has taken on a very different form as a result, Mm -hmm. right? We're much closer now. We have a much, much deeper connection because he has seen me grow into my authentic self and in his own way, he has been able to do that too. And so now we can connect at a deeper level that had I stayed in West Michigan,
1: I don't think that we would be at. Wow. So. I'm guessing those, when those six to like seven months you're describing, when you weren't really talking to your father, that must have been quite a difficult period.
0: Yeah, for me, there was that feeling of emotional abandonment from different Mm -hmm. times in childhood or in those teenage years, and then to intentionally leave the environment right which was my intent and so there was some empowerment inside of that right and so that's valuable but then there's also this this longing and this wonderment i think that all humans have for the father figure for the safety for the security for the feelings of care love appreciation recognition and to have those things extracted again right Mm -hmm. from me. uh, It was kind of a double whammy of saying, okay, you know, Michael, as you're making this transition to eventually start your own business and become this authentic version of yourself, understand that there are going to be very lean and difficult times that you don't have anybody to kind of fall back upon. This is really you taking 100% responsibility for your life and doing it. Mm. And so that was very difficult, but it was also conversely, very empowering because I started to realize what it would take in order to become successful in the way that I saw success.
1: Yeah. It seems like the most difficult challenges that we face are the most rewarding things for ourselves, right? And it seems that difficult time of you having to move a completely different place, which was must have been very, very challenging, you don't regret it at all. It, it actually empowered you even more to do what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what was so interesting yeah. about what you said just just beforehand was like you want to be an well you kind of want to be an entrepreneur but do it your own way. What exactly do you mean by that? Because I'm really interested by that.
0: Yeah, there there's something to be said for. I believe that all humans come to Earth with what I call an Earth school curriculum. And so I kind of perceive earth as just being a place where a soul comes and inhabits a body for a hundred years. And we're here to learn something specifically. And I don't think that we should always be completely emulating celebrities, athletes, politicians, our parents fill in the blank, right? I'm not a big fan of idolatry, right? The idolization of someone else in their journey. I'm a big fan of comparing myself to who I was yesterday. Am I becoming better than I was at some previous, or some previous point in time? And so I wanted to be able to make my own mistakes. I wanted to be able to learn experientially. I wanted to be able to see the world. Right? My family, as far as I can tell, still has not really left the United States, maybe once or twice in their entire mm-hmm. lives. And my parents are in their 60s. So I looked at that and I said, I don't want to be that small. I want my life to be much more expansive. I want to be able to make the mistakes, learn experientially, travel, learn a second language, meet people from around the world and make my own name, right? I didn't want to be remembered as Herb Seaver or Jack Seaver's grandson or son. I wanted to be remembered as Michael S. Seaver. And I knew that there would be a lot of challenge and hardship in making that happen. But I thought that that was the most authentic and meaningful
1: way to live life. I'm getting goosebumps when you just said that. Because I feel like, you know what's so strange? Just talking to you now is like exactly how I felt with my mom and dad as well. It's crazy, absolutely yeah. crazy, because it's just mad, Like, because I, I also feel the same way as well, in the sense of I don't want to be Wendy Hallett's son or Kevin Hallett's son. I want to be my own name, Hamish Hallett. And I, I do resonate. I understand that completely makes sense now <laughs> why you want to be your own entrepreneur, because you don't want to be remembered as X's son. You want to be known as Michael Seaver. Yeah. That's kind of completely why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you've come to that realization for yeah. yourself. And so you know the level of consciousness on earth is expanding astronomically. And wow. yet, even like in America specifically, like I know you're in Europe, the, the, the thing that we have to be mindful of is that in 1929 in America, the economy was a $1 trillion economy. Yeah. Last year, 2021, it was a $23 trillion economy. <sighs> And I don't know what those statistics are for the UK, but what's really important for us to understand is that as society expands, as the level of affluence uh, expands, the level of consciousness also expands. And so we're moving into a time in human consciousness where we all desire to be able to know ourselves very deeply and meaningfully and to be able to trust our own gut and intuition to not repeat someone else's journey or their past, but to really kind of be in 100% control of the ability to create whatever it is that we desire to create. Mm. And so I thank and honor the generations that have come before us, Hamish, like I really do. Oh
1: yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right.
0: But we're also carrying on their legacy in a very meaningful way. And I think people really need to feel and understand that.
1: Oh, completely. And- I know your own sort of own personal sort of like coaching and your own mission actually, which is interesting is to unlock human potential. And I really want to understand like, why is it that your mission and also in what ways can actually people do so when they pursue their passion?
0: Yeah. I said it earlier with the suppression from my grandfather, and my father was that feeling like a robot inside of their business. I know that lots of other people around the world have felt quite similar. I think that, in those days of being suppressed, I always wanted to be authentic. I always wanted to unlock my own potential. Like I knew there was something more mm-hmm. that existed for me. I just didn't know how to get it right. So the why was there, but I knew the how was going to change. And so the the way that I think about these, these kind of processes today is, is that everybody from birth until about age 27 or 28 endures a set of recurrent challenges, Right. So for me, mine was being a robot inside someone else's business. But at age 28, when I went to see Pam in the career management center, she gave me a process to overcome that challenge of being abandoned or of being a robot. Now it's not a secret that I help others overcome the exact same challenge I overcame for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I help them become authentic. I help them unlock their potential. So I think that that's the really simple equation that everybody can sit down and understand is that we go through those challenges birth until 27 or 28, around 28, 29, 30, we find a way to overcome. And then our life's purpose, our life's mission is to then spend the next 20 to 25 years helping others overcome that same challenge for themselves. And so again, I felt abandoned. Pam helped me get to that point of understanding that I could authentically be a coach. I now teach other people that. So for anybody else who is thinking about, well, how do I unlock my own potential? First, get super duper clear on what your mission is. And that is really hard to do. So in my book, I know chapter four is designed to walk persons through basically a three-step process where number one, they They get very clear by collecting five data sets of information about themselves, and then they convert the information inside those data sets into patterns in their life. And then inside those patterns, there's going to be interesting information that can be converted into your life's mission, your top core values, your short term goals, and like a unique value proposition, right? Your brand. Now, once you have those things, second, and really important is you have to surround yourself with key people in relationships who have done what you desire to do. And it's absolutely critical that you have those people that can coach, that can mentor, that can be therapists, counselors, and that they have the experiences that you need to catapult to that next level. Now, third is this idea of experimentation. And this is absolutely critical. Humans learn best through making mistakes and engaging the five senses. So if you are doing your best to take this new information and you're this people that are surrounding you and you're out there constantly iterating and trying new things within your business or within your life, that's going to catapult you to that place of understanding. That's really, really key. And the fourth thing, Hamish, that I want to reference here is that What I found through my journey, maybe your experience in this too, is is that when we share our journey, right, the highs and the lows with everybody around us, whether it's those kind of that close group of friends or whether it's our family or whether it's a much larger group through things like social media, it's absolutely important that we share our journey because what that does is it gives other people freedom and creative license to do the same for themselves. And it's so critical that happens, right? It's so critical. (laughs)
1: Just for reference by everyone, I'm just clapping because I'm just like, wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> sorry, I sorry, I shouldn't swear, but like, mate, oh my God. Exactly. I, just, I was just nodding my head away when you just said, you just said that because it's so true. Because it is so true because it's like, it is mad, especially the last point, sharing that journey. It's so, so important because it's like opening the door. It's like, you know, you walk through a door and you leave that door open for everyone else to follow you know, especially with your experience where you felt suppressed. You don't want others to feel suppressed. You don't, you want to live your most authentic life, right? And you want others to feel the same. So by doing that, you've got to leave the door open to let everyone else through. You know, it seems, ah, it's just, gosh.
0: It's so hard though, because the way that society is designed, regardless of where you're at on the planet, Mm. is that society is designed and we are all acculturated to essentially continue the habits and the routines and the rituals of the past. Mm. Right. So the education system teaches us that different religious doctrines teach us the same thing. The way that our parents behave in society, we oftentimes emulate that unknowingly. So these structures and systems keep us kind of stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot of really hard work and focused effort to break that mental model, if you will, Mm -hmm. to really move into this true authentic version of yourself that's willing to confront those narratives and do things that are really heavily connected to your earth school curriculum or your mission or your purpose
1: for me as well it's like i resonate with what you just said is because i so just a bit of a backstory i do have a learning difficulty for example so i have dyslexia i have a processing disorder and a lot of these narratives were saying to me you know because you've got learning difficulty you know i'm not as a good a public speaker things like that so those narratives were dominating my head however now i'm speaking to you on a podcast so actually, it shows I can. People can challenge those narratives, and this is why yeah. I feel so like I feel so strongly and supportive of what you're just saying. And
0: yeah.
1: you talk about a lot about authenticity, and I was having, I was just, I sort of see this word authenticity a lot within social media, within podcasting, and all sorts of our sort of um, our like, our day to day lives essentially. But my question to you, to you, and also I've been trying to answer this question too, is like, well, why is being authentic so important? Why should We try and be our truest selves.
0: I think that there's a deep meaning that comes from it. So at the top of um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, uh, there's there's two things. And number one is self-actualization, right? You know yourself so deeply that you're able to self-actualize. And the next step after that at the very top of the pyramid is helping others to self-actualize. And so the only way that you're actually ever truly going to understand your purpose on earth this time is to shed the old inherited narratives. Some people call them generational curses, right? Those things that our our family passes down to us and then really truly have experiences where you're 100% in control of where you distribute time. And that's been really hard for me, especially over the last couple of years, because I've had to sit down and especially in 2020, and I had to sit down as I was working through the process of writing my book. And I had to really look and say, let me look at these really key moments and events that have kind of transpired in my life. And then I had to take a really hard look at myself and say, how was I complicit in creating the conditions that allowed for the situations that were hurtful to me to come to life? Mm-hmm. Right, I had to take a very authentic responsibility for the things that I did that created the, the hardships and the challenges in my life. And that was enormously difficult to do, but it was also really important because when you become the most authentic version of yourself, you of course can feel the joy and the happiness and the, the different feelings of success as you see it, but you also have to be willing to take the responsibility for some of those challenging moments in your life and say, mm-hmm. I contributed to the cause of this. And that's okay to take that ownership, right? That empowers you astronomically. But to be able to get to that point of understanding the duality of your life from the things that you've done that have been wonderful and successful and uplifting, but also the ways that you contributed to your own hardships, I think that that is true authenticity.
1: Yeah. And the question to that then is like, are people willing to take the ownership, not just of the successes and the highs of your life so far, but also the challenges of it? Do you think people can do that?
0: Yeah, it, it's possible, but again, yeah. it comes back to that the, the vast majority of of humanity, uh, especially in the last fifty years, has been subliminally taught through the mainstream media to focus on rights and freedoms. Yeah, uh, but but pre, you know, kind of nineteen eighty ish, the focus in most civilized countries was on uh, was on basically responsibilities and obligations, mm. and so because the ecosystem was intentionally changed away from individual responsibility and to of this victim mindset where people are fighting for rights and freedoms that has made it very difficult or challenging for people to walk in to know their true self so knowing that that's kind of the basis or the construct for society it makes it more difficult for people to know a process or to surround themselves with the right people uh-huh. to make it okay to take that responsibility but thankfully we're really in this point of transition uh, on earth right now mm-hmm. where we're moving back to that point of people being able to know themselves deeply enough to incorporate what Carl Jung called the shadow self, and then to be able to really move into that point of taking accountability for everything in your life, good or bad.
1: Yeah, that is actually a very good point you just made because I do think I am seeing it too. Where a lot more people are trying to take a bit more responsibility for themselves, take care of their own energy or health as well, especially 2020. I think that was a big year for that, I feel, you know? So I think, mm-hmm. no, definitely, I 100% do resonate with that.
0: Yeah, you're right. It, that was a big thing in 2020, March, April, as the yeah. pandemic and things kind of rolled out. That kind of 18 month time frame from, you know, March of 2020 on, humans learned at a very, very deep level that they were capable of change. Mm. And like, really, they did. And that they learned a a different value of work-life integration, like being able to, whether it was homeschooling children or having to work from home for the first time. But they also learned, and this is the most important piece, Hamish, is that they learned to use their voice. Because many people were forced to speak up about various topics, whether it was health-related, whether it was work-related or family-related. And so there has been a lot of people being intentionally walked into individual responsibility, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely happening, but it's just—is that person's mind cognitively, cognitively aware of the fact that they're moving to it?
1: Mm, that's true, and it's trying to make and it's trying to re- realize that if you are moving towards that, right? Yeah, mm. it's good, good, it's good, it's good food for thought there. And yeah. there is something though I, I really want to mention though with you. It's your cat. I, I, know, I know you. I know you know what I'm going to ask, right? It's your cat, <laughs> um, Cleopatra. I and mean, people might be thinking, like, why is Hamish mentioning? His cat. Like, what? what's it? So random, right? But I feel like we get, you know, we have, much, we have lots of influences from people and loads of different impacts from most people. But with your story, what's really interesting is it's an animal that's had quite a big impact on you. So tell me, how much of an impact has your cat, Cleopatra, had on you? And yeah, she,
0: yeah, she... Uh, she literally saved my life, famous, and, and I mean that. Oh, that.
1: Really, that, that much? Wow!
0: <laughs> and she really did. And so, yeah. on Earth, there's this thing called the electromagnetic spectrum, and so it's how you know microwaves work, or how Wi-Fi signals are passed, or fill the bike. And so, of this entire thing called the electromagnetic spectrum, yeah. the human eye can only see 0.0035 percent of the entire thing. So, on Earth, the human eye. Cannot see 99.9999% of what's happening right in front of it, right? So we have connections to a lot of things that happen around us. And so for Hamish who has dogs and for, I have a dog named Phoebe and a cat Mm. named Cleopatra and So Cleo, when I was going through a very, very rough period in the latter part of 2018 and the early part of 2019, I had left a romantic relationship. We had sent her daughter off to college. I was trying some things in my business that were not working out. So in May of 2019, I was lying on my bedroom floor contemplating suicide. I was just so fed up with everything that was happening that I, again, I had contributed to many of the things not going well in my life and I had to take ownership of that. So that's why the summer of 2019 was so important for me to take that. But as I'm lying on the bedroom floor contemplating, I I don't want to be on earth anymore. Cleopatra, who is not an affectionate cat comes over to me and lays on my chest and she starts purring with a very, very deep resonance. Now it just also happens that the earth and the human body have uh, what's called the Schumann resonance. And so the, the human body vibrates at a roughly eight Hertz and the earth does too, mm-hmm. but it just so happens that a cat's purr can vibrate at a, I think it was seven or 800 Hertz, which is a very healing frequency. Mm-hmm. And so it was in that moment as I'm sitting there, I was like, gosh, you know, I think I should leave earth. And all of a sudden, as soon as she did that, it came into my mind that I needed to stay. Right, and she was able to sense and actually keep me really focused. And I think you know, you and I could talk about this for hours. Like, oh, like yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could, talk. I generally like. <laughs> my passion isn't for podcasts; it's for animals. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Like, literally, I'm probably that's great. Yours, yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. So yeah. I just really believe that. You know from the things we can't see on the electromagnetic spectrum yeah. is that you know cats and dogs maybe they're multi-dimensional beings or maybe they can hear or see spirit guides or angels whatever you want to call them and the thing that she has taught me right is that not only did she save my life in that moment but i can walk her on a leash hamish and so you um, know she has given me a different level of authenticity and a different level of feeling humble and not accepting other shame or judgment if i'm walking a cat on a leash because people would normally do that with a dog mm-hmm. so I've learned humility. I've learned levity by walking her on a leash and it's okay in many ways. And I mean this really intently is it's, it's okay to be the self-transforming fool. And I really mean that because most people, you know, you look at social media and you look at celebrities, politicians, athletes, they're kind of like the tyrannical king. And I realized that I'd never wanted to be the tyrannical king. And Cleopatra has helped me to be okay. Deep in my heart, very humbly to be the self-transforming fool right? To be constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly shifting and transforming. And I'm so thankful that she saved my life on that day and has helped me become who I am now. God, that's incredible.
1: Honestly, you know, you, you know this, I've never heard of a story of an animal actually saving someone's life before. Generally, that is mad. That's crazy. I mean, animals are better than people, I'll be honest with you. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I always say that to a lot of people. And that, I'm sorry, is a perfect example of why animals are better than people. They
0: have, they have intuitive knowings and gifts that honestly humans are designed to have, but they're just not using them yet. Right there. There's many things the human body can do, uh, that we're just not doing a lot. But I think in the next five, six years, seven years, the human species is going to evolve very quickly and we'll start to do some of those things that animals do Mm. focus it on intuitive gifts and abilities, you know, show up for their community, so I think that those things are coming. It's just waiting for like a crescendo event in society, right? Because we're, we're coming to yeah. a head at some point. And then after that crescendo event, then we'll move to a place of being able to operate a little bit more like those, those pets we love so much.
1: Completely. I think we should try and follow the advice of pets. That's what, <laughs> that's my, that's, that. my takeaway from this episode, I love it. you know? Yeah. So in that mm. sense. And there's actually a question that, I mean, I have loads of questions for you. There's something it's a podcast of course i of course i have questions for you but um there is something though because i feel like you've spoken a lot about you know coaching people with loads of different advice and i think a lot of people can take this advice with what you've been saying during this podcast so far but what i really want to ask you is like has there ever been a time where a person has been uncoachable at all or a business even you
0: know yeah yeah there the the answer uh, honestly for everybody listening is is that any person who does not want the coaching is uncoachable.
1: Really. Wow. And I mean that because
0: yeah. there in in the way that the human kind of mind functions or works is that we have to desire change in order to fully invest in the coaching, the the videos, the podcast, the material that we're reading. We have to fully be ready for the change in order to go through that change. Mm-hmm. And so Yes, I've confronted a number of those people and I know people listening have certainly too. So I live quite a ways away from my family. I'm the black sheep of my family because I'm the only member of my extended family who's still not in West Michigan. So I could say that many members of my family do not want my coaching. And that would be a true statement, right? I've had a number of executives that I've worked with over the last 10 years who I was hired by their boss or their boss's boss or some person above them and those executives would reject my ideas or not fully do what it was that we were talking about doing mm-hmm. because I was not their coach. I was hired by their boss to do something to them or for them. Yeah. Right. So that was big. Or I, I mentioned it earlier, Hamish, this idea of idolatry. So I struggle to coach people who are constantly comparing themselves to somebody else. Right. I want to coach a person who's comparing themselves to who they were yesterday. Right. And that's really hard. So I have a number of examples, right. That I've, that I've come across in 10 years of coaching or 25 years of leadership where that's happened, but I'm always really mindful of, does this person want transformation or do they not? And that's the thing that every coach or any person that's out there listening needs to pay attention to is like in your discovery call with a potential client, do they really want change and why? And if that you can ascertain what that is, then you can actually facilitate change in their life. But if they don't, you might as well hang up the call.
1: You might as well leave it. Is that quite hard to distinguish then? Or is it quite easy for you? Would you say?
0: I, I think for me, it's relatively simple because yeah. I, I think I think my gift on earth this time is to listen to what's not being said. And I can pick up on patterns and psychology and human behavior pretty quickly. But if, you know, if somebody's brain doesn't work the way that mine does... I just encourage you to ask questions about why someone's doing what they're doing. And so if you can get to the bottom of why they're doing it, and it has to do with self-improvement, or if it has to do with overcoming a previous challenge, or it has to do with wanting to make some sort of a better impact on the world, then you have cause to engage with them, right? To be able to help them or to partner with them in some way. But if they're doing it because someone else told them to do it, right? Or they're being forced to do it,
1: not worth it. And a lot of what you've been saying throughout this podcast, I feel like there's quite a lot of mentions with this within your book, because I know I can see actually your book on your just behind you. So <laughs> yeah. it actually, it triggered a little, a, little bit, a little bit of thought. So your book, I Know a Practical Guide for Awakening to What's Within and Finding Work Life Integration. Has that been quite a big achievement or milestone for you during your pursuit of your passion so far?
0: Yeah, it really has. And the the reason why is Mm. that I had been told for years that I should write a book, but I being an introvert, very shy, very quiet, Mm. uh, very reserved, I I view myself as less powerful than the environment around me. So for years I had had clients and people that are in my community say, you need, you need to tell your story. You need to tell your client stories. You need to share your processes more broadly. And again, just like the situation that happened right after I had the coach in 2008 with Pam, I rejected it, right? For years, Mm. I rejected it. And then finally, the in early 2020, as things were starting to shift in society, I got to that point of understanding that I had built the personal clarity and courage and humility to actually tell my story and to be able to do it in such a way that would truly impact people's lives. And so you know, the part of writing the book was also kind of like a it was almost like a repentance for all of the mistakes that I made. Mm. Of going back on my life and looking at the choices that I made and the things that didn't work out, what I learned from it. And so part of it was, is that I had finally walked into my own courage to tell my story or my client's stories. Part of it was, is that I had closed, you know, emotionally, spiritually closed doors to the past. And then part of it was, is that I, I think society was actually ready for the message. And that that was a key thing, right? Because timing with stuff like this is absolutely critical. So I learned a bunch about myself, but I also was able to really start to think about, here's what it is that I need to tell people because society is actually ready to transform in the way that I can facilitate that transformation.
1: What was like the favorite part or what, what was the favorite aspect of actually doing the book, would you say?
0: The the reflection. So I hired a, yeah, I, I, I hired a writing coach to help me and she was, she was wonderful at holding me accountable to specific deadlines. But because I'm an introvert, I see the world very linearly and through the lens of data. And I intentionally hired a woman who is very extroverted and very people oriented. So the reflection piece and why I bring it up was that she forced me to think very deeply about the relationships and the emotions in the relationships as I was navigating the transformation for myself or for my clients. And that taught me a very, very deep level of emotion that I hadn't yet explored before. And so I really needed that time of reflection to tap into different levels of emotion to then be a better storyteller. And I'm so thankful that she was there to be able to help me through that process.
1: Yeah. So are you quite thankful of this person? Oh, Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, big time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. No, that's good to hear, man. I think, you know, I definitely want to, you know, especially from talking to you, I definitely want to find out a bit more about this book you know so it sounds really good and um now i really wish i could talk to you all day but i know i've got a bit of a time limit so (laughs) my last question to you then is we ask this question a lot to all of our guests and i'm very intrigued by your answer for this question then what does passion mean to you i i
0: I think i've alluded to it a little bit hamish throughout Mm. the time we've had together and i like to look at this through the lens of passion interest um, your cause, your purpose is picking up the absolute heaviest burden you can carry to reduce other suffering. And, and, I, and I mean that at, at the most deepest level that you can possibly uh, say, because w- when you think about what is the heaviest burden you can carry? Well, my burden's about emotional abandonment and it's about being a robot in someone's business. And that's a very heavy burden because I have a lot of people from around the world calling me every week feeling the exact same way. So I carry their burden, right? Because I experienced that at a different phase of my life. And so now my, the way that I help people become authentic is to reduce their suffering as they step further and further into their authenticity, the suffering lessons and lessons. So passion is picking up the absolute heaviest burden you can carry to reduce your and other suffering. It's going back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? It's being in that flow state. It's losing track of time. It's allowing for the rest of the world to just turn off around you so you can be in that moment. Passion is like this continual state of learning, right? It's these opportunities that we have to teach others. So that, that to me is the most important part, right? How are you here to pick up a heavy emotional, spiritual burden to reduce someone else's suffering?
1: I'm not even going to say anything else because that is just... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I really hope the audience who's listening to this are like their minds just blown right now. So <laughs> <laughs> Michael, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Simplified yeah,
0: it is my pleasure. Thank you, Hamish. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for listening to that episode of In Pursuit of Passion, produced by Demographical Network and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett. What a great guest Michael was in this conversation. And you can find out more of his work down below in the episode bio. Until the next episode of In Pursuit of Passion, keep pursuing that passion and see you in the next one.